Day after the Super Bowl, I think Saturday should be when the Super Bowl is on. I uh, I don't drink anymore, but I remember when I used to. Like right around now, you'd order lunch, start setting in, and you'd be like, "Why the hell did I not take today off? Did you take the Chiefs? Did you take the purple Gatorade? The purple Gatorade was like one to eleven odds. They haven't used purple Gatorade in years. They went blue, I think, like the last three out of four. So. Those of you riding the purple train, you did pretty well yesterday. Um, here's a little something interesting, though. I found a little tidbit on the field. I don't know if you saw everyone slipping around yesterday, but this is like a massive project getting this whole thing ready for the Super Bowl. Joe Pampliano, he put out a thread about what goes into this, and he said uh, the NFL has spent two years preparing the grass for last night's Super Bowl. The grass was grown at a local sod farm in Phoenix. It was installed two weeks ago. It's rolled out every day on that system there that puts it out in the uh, the hut Phoenix sun. Cost $800,000. That tray right there, it's 40 inches deep. It's 230 feet wide and 403 feet long. It goes 740 feet to go outside, but there's just one problem. Everyone was slipping all over it. Apparently, there's this guy who does it. He's 94 years old, this uh, grass keeper, George Toma, and he's been doing it for every Super Bowl. He does uh, several World Series. He's done a bunch of Pro Bowls. They call him the sod father, but it might be time to retire like Tom Brady. Goats always have to go to pasture, and we have um, Garrett Fraioli here who has put in his own yard work to be the next host of the Super Bowl. He's got uh, a beautiful line work there. Out on the uh, on his own side. I don't know. Bring in Frioli. Anyways, enjoy the game last night, but let's move on, man. Today we're talking about defending your fleet. It's like the Eagles couldn't defend that win last night. Modern Thieves, they got hacking. What do we got? Chinese spy balloons right now. We got cyber attacks. We got location stalking. We got all that nonsense. We got Terry Reinhardt. He's coming on today from Fleet Defender. He's going to tell us all of the crazy technology that can be used to both protect your fleet, but also be used to take over your connected fleet. We had a conversation at Manifest, and I'm like, whoa, blew my mind. Um, when you've got freight that's too big for your average freight broker, we're going to have Chad Crosby on. He's going to give us the ins and outs of heavy haul project freight, and you might even talk about raising puppies for the blind. We'll get that out of him. Freightways Alan Adler is here. He's talking about Cummins' billion-dollar electrolyzer business, plus what's going on in hydrogen and the truck tech market. We got Wienermobile theft, Manfell, Nevada chocolate, Texas Gigafactory moving cars, and a whole bunch of stuff. So let's tip the band and get into the show. You may think of AIT Worldwide Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in the past decade, uh, in the past decade, years, they've evolved to become a global transportation management leader, generating nearly $3 billion in annual revenue by providing supply chain solutions for Fortune 500 companies shipping between Asia, Europe, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating customized solutions to fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from AIT's Logistics Pros at AITWorldwide.com. Let's take a look at our next guest in action right here. That's one way to defeat defensively. Is Terry Reinhardt? He is the CEO and founder over at Fleet Defender. Terry, thank you so much for joining us, man. 
Yeah, man, I I, uh, I love the animation. Uh, I didn't know that. I, I, was, I was thinking back to like He-Man when I was a kid. I got my muscle shirt on, got my hands out. That was good stuff. Hey, don't, hey, don't be bashful, man. You were looking you were looking a little thick when I saw you over at Manifest. You were looking good. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I could do better, but, uh, you know, can't we all? Yeah. Did, 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 you're not, are you a Chiefs or an Eagles fan? Did last night's game uh, impact you in any way whatsoever? Uh, well, it's for me, it's more about the ads, uh, and the puppy bowl. I don't know if the puppy bowl was on, but I heard like Ben Affleck broke the internet with a Dunkin' Donuts commercial. I, I don't know. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure, but, uh, congratulations to the uh, dolphins who won, uh, or wait, wait, that was the wrong one. Yeah, that was, that was, that was the wrong one, but you know, it was a big topic that came up with spy balloons, right? Everyone is, Oh, who's spying on us? What tech is being used against us? And I think you even had like the defense department say, oh, you know what? We didn't turn on like the UFO uh, spy layer where spy uh, the layer map layer above us because we weren't looking for small moving things. And now we're finding all these different spy balloons. But it's a good parallel for what happens in tech. If you're not looking for someone who's trying to infiltrate what you're trying to do, you might have a lot of problems here. Tell us a little bit about what Fleet Defender is before we even jump into this really dense topic. Yeah, so Fleet Defender is a cyber defense platform. Uh, cyber defense system for platforms, so trains, planes, automobiles, trucks, cars, spacecraft, you name it. Um, but it's exactly kind of what you said. It's it's looking for the thing that no one else is looking for. So, um, you know, just like radars, um, you know, you tune them to uh, not pick up birds because they're too slow moving, but that means you miss things like spy balloons and things along that nature. Same thing, like we tune our models to look for um, cyber anomalies or maintenance anomalies or driver anomalies on on vehicles that no one else is looking for you know and it, it's interesting and that what you said there just resonated with me because i was just at a big conference looking at all the different tech right and you're seeing all these different connected fleets you're seeing these ev trucks you're seeing autonomous trucks you're seeing autonomous people movers warehouse robots but the one thing you're not seeing aside from at the fleet defender booth is a lot of talk about the cybersecurity that goes into protecting these devices right and you know it's it's interesting in the security world we have what's called defense in depth so you look at the problem from every single layer and make sure you have defenses in it at every layer and you know, right now, I think as a society, we're doing pretty well at the, you know, the IT uh, information technology business enterprise level. Um, and we've started looking um, again at us as a society, looking at the link to the vehicles, like the cellular link and, and things like that. Um, you know, where we come in is actually on the vehicle. So we're just another layer in the overall defense model. Um, and it's something pretty new because, you know, five, six years ago, nobody really knew what was possible. And uh, a couple security researchers actually had uh, disabled a Jeep Cherokee after they took over the brakes and the steering um, while it was driving down the highway. They did it with a reporter uh, in the vehicle to kind of show this was in 2016. Uh, and then it was like, oh, wow. OK, so cars can be hacked and really bad things can happen. Uh, and then fast forward to even last year, uh, the National Motor Freight Trucking Association, some of their cybersecurity researchers uh, you know, had released uh, some information that they found a vulnerability that allowed them to access a truck's, uh, the trailer network remotely um, and lock the brakes on it while it was uh, in motion down the highway. So it's now starting to become pretty, pretty prolific uh, in the news that this stuff is possible. First of all, how did you get into this world? I was looking into your background and who uh, uh, it looks like you're a Marine in the past. Yes, sir. Is, yeah, is that so, uh, yeah. 
Oh, sorry. No, it actually started like way sooner than when I was a Marine, believe it or not. So when I was about five years old, my dad brought home a, a Commodore 64. To this day, still love that that platform. And uh, I just immediately, it, it clicked with my brain. So just technology, software development. Like I started teaching myself how to program um, in like basic, uh, the basic programming language uh, back in the MS-DOS days. Uh, and it just kind of grew from there. And so every time my dad would bring home a new computer or some new technology, uh, I would take it apart, um, usually get in trouble for taking it apart. But uh, that kind of launched the the career in just really um, wanting to understand tech and how it works. And then when I got into the Marine Corps, you know, was kind of exposed to to warfare, both, you know, kinetic. So, you know, moving parts and all that, and also the the non-kinetic side. So information warfare and how that all happens. And so after the Marine Corps, um, I got back into, you know, being a hacker, um, you know, uh, working for the Defense Department uh, uh, and the, the U.S. government, you know, to understand uh, what vulnerabilities there. And one of the areas that I really focused on was platforms um, and how the enemy can leverage them against us and how we can leverage them in uh, any kind of uh, conflict we might have in the future. What can be hacked now? You, you mentioned those vehicles, and I think when most executives are thinking about hacking, they're thinking about protecting their systems, their metal, their servers, their their data, their user data, their financial data, but maybe not so much someone actually remotely taking over a truck like it's a drone. Yeah, well, um, and that, that really came with the rise of the Internet of Things, um, right? Because you've got these... Um, new devices that are connected to the internet. They're in your home, they're in your car, they're in your hand, they're in your pocket, uh, and they're all connected to the internet and they're all running software. Um, and so there's connectivity to the device because it's connected to the internet. Uh, and then you've got you know large software stacks that run everything from the features that you know, like the apps on your phone, to the underlying technology, um, like the wireless, connect wireless connectivity. Uh, and so like you just created an environment that is... Um, extremely beneficial to the user, right? Like online banking is fantastic. Um, connected cars, it's fantastic for us. It, it increases safety. Uh, it provides more features to the driver and the users. So like this is technology we want because it just makes everything better. Um, but at the same time, we got to defend it because when you create those wireless connections to the vehicle, you're opening up an avenue or what we call an attack vector um, for nefarious actors uh, and adversaries to then do bad things uh, and leverage that channel for for what they want to do. Interesting. So, like you, you mentioned, attack vectors here. Would one of those be something like the infotainment center inside of a vehicle? Like how how are bad actors getting in there in the first place? Yeah. So that's one really good um, vector. So, like if we want to talk about just a passenger vehicle, you got an infotainment unit. Uh, in there. And it's kind of giving you features like Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. Um, they might integrate uh, GPS with it. They might also integrate cellular with it. Um, sometimes cellular would be a, a different telematics box in the car. Um, but you've got all these uh, wireless vectors into that head unit. Um, and if there's a flaw in that software at any layer in that software, um, an attacker could leverage that. Um, and there have been known attacks that are that are already known in their public where people could use um, a flaw in the Bluetooth stack, for example, to gain access to that head unit. Um, and then once you're in, um, depending on the level of access you have, um, you could do anything. 
And so if you've got the right level of access, you can turn on the microphones and listen to what people are saying. Um, you can um, scrape all the contacts off of somebody's Bluetooth connected phone and see who they're calling, when they're calling. Um, you know, you can build intelligence profiles on people. But what's really scary is when the vehicle is architected in a way that connects that infotainment unit to the CAN bus uh, in vehicles, um, which is also connected to things like power steering control modules and uh, and I like brake systems, um, things where you can now do more than just collect intelligence on somebody, but you could create a kinetic effect. Um, and that's really bad. That's locking the brakes, disabling the brakes, controlling the steering, um, all things that have been demonstrated by academic researchers already. Like this is now, this is, this is happening now. Well, yeah. I mean, you talk about attacking an infotainment center. Suddenly you'd have information on what's manifested in a load, what they're talking about, their GPS on where they're going. And then at, at least the ability, if, if in the right way, maybe not to seize actually driving control, but you'd seize up the brakes, right? I mean, this isn't the old way of just going to a lot and cracking seals. This is much more high tech and advanced. Who is using, who, who is hacking? Who is doing these? And are people attacking the truck market right now? Yeah, it's it's interesting. So, um, you know, a huge boon to the logistics uh, world. Um, you don't win world. You don't win a war by having the best bullets. You don't uh, win a war by being the most disciplined. You win those help. Don't get me wrong, um, but you win wars with logistics. Um, if you can't get bullets, if you can't get gas, if you can't, you know, keep your tanks running, if you can't get the parts, if you can't get any of that, um, you're not fighting a war. And so. Really, when you're looking at you know national security um, from a logistics perspective, it is absolutely critical. So if I want to stop, say, the United States from responding um, to me doing something nefarious somewhere in the world, um, I don't have to have the best military. All I have to do is just make sure their military can't even show up. And so, you know, with the the war in uh, between Russia and the Ukraine right now, there's a lot of Western countries sending aid to Ukraine. Um, if that aid can't get there, it doesn't matter how much money you send. It doesn't matter how many tanks, how many bullets. None of that matters if it can't actually get there. And so like looking at Russia's attacks against um, the logistics space, um, a lot of the, you know, everything from business IT networks all the way down to the vehicle markets, um, you know, if they can stop that aid flowing into the Ukraine, that helps them win that war. And so that's what our adversaries are really looking at is, is not like, how do we beat a military, you know, head on head? Um, it's more of how do we just avoid that fight to begin with? And if we can just get them to just never show up to the battle, we automatically win. So how are you helping fleets do that? How do you actually defend fleets from uh, hackers and nefarious actors? Yeah, so the first thing is, is you got to be able to detect it. If you don't know that they're doing something, then uh, then there's nothing you can do about it. And, um, you know, usually in, in kinetic, sorry, uh, non-kinetic or cyber warfare, um, you know, all, you know, militaries, they do what's called like pre-positioning the battlefield. So, for example, like if you feel like there's going to be a conflict in the Middle East, um, you want to find a, a partner like, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, for example, and and park a bunch of tanks there. So that way, if we ever did need to go into Kuwait or Iraq, just like we did back in 1991, your tanks are already there. Like you're you're already ready. You pre-positioned your forces. Um, cyber warfare is exactly the same way. Like if I want to disable all of your trucks, I'm not going to wait until I want to do it to do something. I'm going to go out and I'm going to start attacking your trucks very covertly and quietly. 
and I'm going to start implanting them with my implant, with my software. And it's going to do nothing. It's just going to sit there and listen and wait. And then when I'm ready, I've already got my implant and say, you know, 50,000 trucks. When I push the button, those 50,000 trucks just stop working. Um, and so I do all of that before I actually get to the point of wanting to do something. So Fleet Defender, what we do is we actually go in and we, we put a piece of hardware um, on a truck. We've got a software only version two for trucks that have advanced telematics units um, where we can actually install just software on the truck. But if it's an older truck um, or doesn't have that um, specialty hardware, we have our own piece. And we just sit on the bus and we watch and we listen. And we wait to see if there's any indicators of an attacker probing the truck, um, trying to update firmware in the truck, trying to install software in the truck, or do anything that's outside of the normal. And then we can alert to that. So we can actually say, hey, something's going on here that we need to look at and dig into before um, they get to what they're really trying to get to. And that's a full implant into an ECU where they can actually make some kind of kinetic effect. And then we're gonna take that technology even further to say when they start doing that, we're working with the OEMs and the carriers to say, um, no, like cut off access from that, from that vector. And so they can't even pre-position forces now, we just stop the attack before it even happened. Well, have you come across any big attacks that haven't been publicized? Um, so a lot of, there's a, a lot of stuff going on, obviously, um, what the government's aware of is not always necessarily what the public is aware of. Um, what we can talk about is what we see, um, coming out of academic research and being published, uh, in academic papers or, um, in what they call CVEs, um, which is where like, if there's a vulnerability in something, they'll publish a CVE to make people aware that this specific system is, is vulnerable. So we can look at those and we can talk about those publicly because there's obviously no, uh, classified information involved there. Interesting. 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 So, and this is fleets now, right? I mean, the, 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 the technology that is within a truck now is because you're almost, this is almost like malware you're talking about, right? Like this is like malware yes. infect or ransomware they're infecting the, uh, the truck with. Are a lot of fleets susceptible to this at the moment? Um, I would say yes. I mean, even more advanced things. So one of the interesting things is um, when Russia, you know, was uh, doing stuff in the, uh, the Ukraine, they stole a bunch of John Deere tractors. This is public knowledge. You can go read the, the news stories. Um, they, they stole a bunch of John Deere tractors. Um, and so the Ukrainian hackers worked with a couple of different organizations um, to actually go and attack those trucks and do what we call bricking, uh, which is essentially just making it to where it doesn't work anymore. Um, and so they actually erased a lot of the software in a lot of the ECUs and essentially bricked the tractors. So uh, Russia now has just a bunch of really big green paperweights. Um, and so, and that's not a, you know, not at all a knock on John Deere and saying that their security is not good. Um, this is the case across the board um, that like when these features exist, um, a lot of things are, are possible. Wow. Well, I know that you're uh, building the team right now. I, I saw on LinkedIn, you put some hiring up. Are you looking for some people to join you? Yeah, great question. So we're right now, we're looking to expand our sales and marketing team. Um, and what we really want is uh, a couple of um, really good, solid sales um, individuals that like understand the logistics market and the long haul trucking market. Um, because, I mean, it's it's really interesting, you know, just like anything, you have your own verbiage, you have your own uh, acronyms, you have your own technologies. And and so getting somebody there that really understands that market. But at the same time, I say that, you know, we're also growing the engineering team. Um, we're also growing the data science team. 
And so, you know, we're, we're always on the lookout for talent. You know, talent is key and we win and lose by having the best talent. Excellent. Well, people who want to go defend their fleets, go look up Fleet Defender. And if you want to go work for them and help lead the new technologies, new defense technology, go join Terry's team. Go check out Fleet Defender. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you joining us on a Monday. Yeah, thank you. It was a blast. Thanks. Take care. Wow. Good stuff, man. It's getting, getting to be a really weird, uh, weird world. What else is new? It's been weird for like, I don't know, this entire decade. <laughs> Meanwhile... They obviously took the Eagles. Although I'm going to have to use my forensic video viral analysis here. And I'm saying that this is probably staged for the likes. Because look at this. It's not even mounted to the wall. And I know like younger group of people, they might not take the time to like mount it and put the cables on and everything. But there's also the sticker. Did you notice that? They also have the power safe sticker on the front. I think they set that up. There's probably, they're probably not even Eagles fans. Probably Chiefs fans. That's why they're able to control their emotions so well. Coming up next, it's guest Alan Adler. What is up, Alan Adler? Is that what happened to your TV at your house? I'm going to have a Fleet Defender hack your ring doorbell so I can get the footage. That is amazing. I really want to see some stuff get stopped on my street. That'd be cool. You want to see stuff get stopped on your street or stomped? Yeah, didn't he, didn't he say he was just going to like turn them into bricks and stuff? He could just brick a, like a FedEx truck right in front of your house. That'd be really cool. As long as there's something cool inside the truck for me. But if not, well, keep moving. Hey, have you noticed that, by the way, like in terms of the defense of all this technology? Because you cover tech over here, truck tech. I, I was talking to him earlier how at these events, I noticed a lot of talk about the truck tech, but not a lot of, a lot of talk about the cybersecurity side of it. Is that something you see as well? Yeah, I don't, I don't get into the cyber stuff. We, we get, uh, you know, we get in, in, inquiries on it from time to time. And, you know, one of our colleagues used to look at it pretty closely. I don't, I don't really get into it too much. I think the connectivity side, you know, we're starting to pay attention to. I wrote, wrote about the, uh, well, TMS integration with autonomy, uh, the other week and, you know, had a, had a show on it, uh, you know, on truck tech, uh, on, on Freightways TV. Um, but I, you know, as far as the cyber stuff, it gets a little, it, it gets a little in the weeds for me. Um, but it is something that obviously is, you know, lots of, lots of activity out there, I'm sure. Well, maybe you'll start thinking about it a little bit more after that conversation. But before we move on to Cummins, uh, we were both at Manifest. Did you like anything you saw there in terms of truck tech? They had a few debuts, like Super Truck 2 debuted over there. Um, Kodiak showed off their new modular, uh, uh, what do you call it? side mirrors. Their whole side mirrors on their truck now basically house the sensors and the cameras for their autonomous system. And I, they said they're about 50 pounds and you can just like take them and you can jam them right on the side. So if one gets damaged, they've really refined that. Those are two things that stuck out to me. Did you see anything you thought was cool? Yeah, I thought uh, we, we learned about the, the, the mirror pods, I don't know, about a year ago and wrote about it at the time. And, and I thought as far as autonomous technology went, it was one of the coolest things going. And I still believe that. In fact, I've asked Don Burnett, if that's something he would even consider licensing, you know, because it's it's the kind of thing that that would be effective, you know, for every autonomous truck. I mean, you're cutting down on some of that, some of the extraneous stuff that you need to see ahead and, you know, for your sensors and things like that. So you pack your sensors and your cameras and, you know, maybe your radars into something like that. And and it is really slick. In fact, James Reed, who just joined the company, said that was one of the things that that impressed him the most was that they were thinking about kind of manufacturability. You know, how do you 
how do you do this so that it's uh, like you said, you know, replaceable and and easy to work with rather than, you know, having to, you know, shut down the truck and, and take a day or two to get the sensors back. This way you just, you know, drop drop into a repair facility, you you swap on a new a new module and you're off and, and running, which again, you know, all the things that we talk about with autonomy and we talk about, you know, sort of the, the future state of it, if it can't operate like what we know now, uh, you know, in terms of uptime and things like that, forget about it. It just isn't going to matter. And I think I think things like the mirror pods really do speak to that and say, you know, yes, we're looking at how do you how you put a truck out there that is actually something that we would work with in a normal kind of way. Now, Alan, a big issue and what everyone's searching for answers on is how do I electrify my freight? How, how do I get to these zero emission goals by 2030, by 2035? One company that's been focused on it is um, Cummins, right? They're working on the hydrogen market and suddenly they have a billion dollar, uh, multi-billion dollar electrolyzer market. Tell me about that. What is going on there? What's going on in hydrogen? Yeah, boy, it is it is interesting. Okay, so first of all, electrolyzers, those are basically devices that convert, uh, you know, um, um, uh, chemical conversion to get hydrogen. And then you have to, of course, you know, take the gas and, and turn it into liquid or whatever. But the idea is that these are, uh, you know, widespread. It's a big industry and it's getting bigger. Cummins jumped in a few years ago with its new power division. That literally new power is the newest division at Cummins. It's the only one that right now isn't making money, but that's because it's pouring so much investment in to, you know, the electrolyzers and also, you know, fully integrated electric platforms and things like that. There, you know, Cummins last year alone bought, you know, Jacobs Automotive System, which is the Jake Brake, actually started at Cummins, came back home. They bought Meritor for $3.7 billion, mostly to integrate, uh, you know, some of the components, stuff goes in their components division, but the electric uh, e-axle that they have, which is very popular uh, out in the industry now, is part of a Cummins package now at this point. And I guess Meritor does get to keep its name as part of Cummins, which is kind of interesting. Don't they have something going on yeah. with Hylion, too? I'm, I'm just don't, don't they have a doesn't Cummins? Yeah. They have their hands in a lot of pies. They do. They do. And it would take more than your whole show to, to cover it. But yeah. <laughs> So, so what they're doing uh, with Hylion is, uh, you know, they are they are certifying the X12 engine, the natural gas engine, for Thomas Healy and his gang. Uh, you know, basically uh, that will be the first powertrain that that they come out with. I mean, Hylion's moving ahead. I think eventually they become a fuel cell hybrid, and ultimately that could also be a a Cummins uh, integration. Um, I'm still wondering if Cummins doesn't find a reason just to sort of buy Hylion at some point, because they're so interested in doing interim technologies to get to zero uh, emissions, including just this morning, you know, they announced a a, a 10X or a 10-cylinder engine that's going to replace two of their legacy engines. And so, you know, they are looking at everything they can do to sort of get to the goal without having to say, we have to throw everything out except electrification. Um, So they're doing a lot of things that, you know, still burn stuff, and that doesn't make California very happy. And some places in Europe, it's a non-starter. But they're doing a number of things uh, that will get them there. But to your point about electrolyzers, that is truly a zero emission green hydrogen play. And they expect to make, you know, $400 million by 2025 out of hydrogen and 6 to $13 billion, with a B, uh, by 2030. Uh, you know, so, so they see real potential. They're using existing facilities as well as new facilities to create this uh, infrastructure for 
for electrolyzers. And, uh, and it's something we, we keep writing about. We do have to explain it every time because it's not a word that rolls off your tongue. So, are, I mean, is that the play here for heavy-duty vehicles? Because, uh, you know, Honda, GM, Kenworth, Toyota, Nikola, Hylian we just mentioned, and Cummins, obviously they're all working towards these hydrogen solutions, and we all know the limitations that battery stacks have. So it, 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 is this the realistic play? Is it, is it hydrogen, Alan? Well, it's for Cummins, it's both. I mean, they're doing plenty in the in the uh, battery electric area with buses and and, and things like that. Um, you know, it, it, we just had this discussion initially enough on Truck Tech last week about you know is it either or or is it and 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 the whole either or argument is you know the haters out there who don't like hydrogen will say no, it's got to be battery electric, and and the hydrogen people point to it and say it's coming, it's coming. Well, it, it appears to actually be here now. I mean, the hydrogen thing does, but it's not one or the other because they have different use cases. And, you know, battery electric, as we've talked about, and you've talked about is very good for, you know, regional hall and point, uh, you know, pickup and delivery and things like that. And smaller vehicles, you know, the class four or five vehicles that go back to base and can charge overnight, you know, trickle charge and that kind of thing. That's perfect. It's a perfect application. But when you get to long haul, you need something that can be refueled, very similar to diesel and stay on the road for a while. And, and you know, yeah, Thomas uh, Healy has something like that with his uh, uh, ERX truck coming in 24 as a hybrid. But we look at hydrogen, pure play hydrogen fuel cells as being, you know, maybe the best use for that. And Nikola will have these trucks out at end of the year, not in big numbers, but they have, uh, you know, about a thousand of them on order. I mean, real order now, not just, you know, kind of letters of intent. But uh, so so building an infrastructure for hydrogen, um, real important for long haul trucking, uh, very slow going, very expensive, but uh, it is happening. Well, the Nikola fuel cell truck, right? They they just put out that that qualifies for this voucher, and you're going to get two hundred forty to two hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars off per truck. How expensive are these trucks if if you're getting two hundred eighty-eight thousand off? These are million-dollar trucks right now. <laughs> that, that's what they cost, and and it, you know it will come down over time. Um, but you're also looking at a package. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Nikola is going to put the fuel with the truck. They're not going to tell you to you know go find something that costs. $16 a kilogram or something like that and say, you know, good luck. In fact, they've introduced mobile uh, refueling, both both for electric um, as well as now for hydrogen. They've got, uh, you know, mobile uh, systems that you could put behind a fence or you could, you know, get a couple of trucks back to back filled up, that kind of thing. R- remember, dude, this is going to be really slow. This is not a flip a switch and it's all going to be hydrogen or all battery electric. You're going to see, you know, sort of step-by-step kind of things. I mean, you know, they're going to truck presumably with either fuel cell trucks or electric trucks, they'll truck hydrogen out of this thing that they've got in Buckeye, Arizona, that they're developing to three stations in California. Um, Because you can't make hydrogen at a good price in California because electricity is so expensive. But when you can get it for two cents a kilowatt hour in Arizona because of all the sun, then it makes sense to make it there and you know, truck it elsewhere. Uh, so, so this is all just getting started. It's going to be fascinating to watch, but please don't look at, you know, kind of an overnight switch because it's not coming. Well, I mean, what about on the passenger side? Is this just really expensive technology at the moment? I was looking in your article and it said, in Korea, there's already about like 50,000 of these cars on the road, but it's mostly in Korea at the moment. Yeah, right. Well, in Korea and Japan, I mean, Toyota's been selling the Mirai fuel cell uh, vehicle, passenger vehicle here for a number of years. Honda was in, they're out, they're coming back again with another passenger vehicle. Um, You know, they've been 
it, working with General Motors for eight or nine years on on fuel cells now. Um, GM has always been a little schizophrenic, truthfully, about whether it wants to have its own fuel cell vehicle. So I think they're happy to, you know, work on the technology and, you know, let Honda take the credit for it. But I think in in the case of uh, uh, in the case of past cars, it's 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 going to be minor because they just they don't really do that much good for you. You I mean they're great for heavy haul, they're great for trucks, um, they're fine for passenger vehicles as a zero emission technology, but they're very expensive. And you know, I mean, the Mirai gives you. The fuel, you know, Toyota gives you the fuel to run it with. So, uh, you know, that's a that's a great deal. You know, you buy one of these vehicles, it's got a, a fixed price for the lease, and then they'll throw in the fuel. So, you know, it's one of those, hey, what a great monthly nut I've got on this vehicle. It isn't anywhere near really what it costs. I would, you know, I would be nervous, though, that like suddenly when the price of hydrogen goes up, that fuel they're supposed to provide me uh, suddenly is nowhere to be found. Where's the fueling truck? I don't know. I feel like they'd play games. I feel like they'd play games with my well, heart, man. <laughs> I think there's a, you know, we can get into colors, another one of these things to take you a whole show to explain. There's all kinds of different hydrogen. There's hydrogen that comes off of natural gas. You need know, split it off the natural gas. There's green hydrogen that comes from, you know, landfills and things like that. Uh, you know, you can capture the carbon and have blue hydrogen, blah, blah, blah. The point is hydrogen is the most plentiful element in the universe. Okay. So there's no shortage of it. It's just getting to it and, and you know, moving it basically. Well, very cool. I know someone in heavy haul who would need that over uh, batteries because theirs aren't going to get it done at the very least. So I got to go talk to him and talk about what's cool in the world of heavy haul. But hey, what's coming up on Truck Tech for our, our listeners? Tomorrow or tomorrow, Wednesday, sorry, because it's yeah. only Monday, right? Okay, so Wednesday. But it's Super Bowl Monday, Wednesday, so you're forgiven. I know. I, I'm a mess. All right. So so Wednesday is Jose Sampiero. He is the new head of On Highway from where do we want? Cummins. And with their announcement today of this new 10-liter 10, 10 engine, uh, we'll have stuff to talk about with him. Um, well, also, he's brand new in that job. He's been the sales guy over there. But he can explain, I think, uh, better, hopefully, than I can, uh, you know, where Cummins has all of those fingers and all of those pies. But, uh, you know, they're not really uh, leaving very many things out. So he'll be one guest. We may have a second. We'll wait and see. But um, – you know, tune in. Well, Alan, I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Look up Truck Tech on FreightWaves TV or wherever you get podcasts. Take care, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, China, India, Vietnam, Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico. AIT Worldwide Logistics has 2,000 supply chain experts in these countries and, of course, in offices across the United States. And in 2023, they're adding more locations around the world as the organization con continues to expand and make it easier than ever for customers to ship between Asia, Europe, and North America. If you're ready to create a shipping program as unique as your business, you can learn more at AIT worldwide.com but you know what let's check in with chad crosby he is a heavy haul specialist over at halo halo llc chad looking good today man how are you doing Duner? how are you you didn't stay up too late for the super bowl did you no it was a good game though wasn't it it, it was <laughs> it was, I, it, you know it, I, I didn't care who won but it was a good game yeah, I mean, look, I, I wouldn't take Mahomes. I mean, it was, it was a great game. There was one really crappy call at the end that kind of like marred things. But at the same time, yeah. I mean, what Mahomes is doing is is pretty incredible. And it shouldn't really take away from uh, the accomplishment of that team. They played a really good Philly team. You got two great. I mean, Tom Brady retires and you got new guys stepping up to take up the mantle of who can be the next GOAT. I know if I was uh, if I was Rogers right now, I'd be looking going, I don't know, maybe I'm done. 
Maybe I'm done. Maybe I'm done. The Jets might have some money After for watching those boys. I'd be like, maybe I'm done. Hey, you know, before we get into heavy haul, everyone knows I'm a huge dog lover on here. I got a dog on my cat, and I saw something. You help raise dogs, do you not? Yeah, we do. Uh, we raise guide um, puppies for guide dogs for the blind. Tell me a little bit about that, real quick. Let people know about that program. Uh, guide dogs for the blind is they're based out of their headquarters in California. They also have a second headquarter uh, campus in Oregon. They uh, they donate dogs for blind people who because um, they are not funded medic you know through any insurance or anything. So they give uh, dogs at no cost to the blind people. And the average cost of raising a, a guide dog um, is about a hundred to one hundred ten thousand dollars. Wow, wow! Do you have a favorite type of uh, of breed to raise from puppyhood? Uh, <laughs> we so we did basically they're all labs or goldens oh, or hybrids of those two. Um, they the labs are easier. The goldens are a little tougher. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> um, the hybrids seem to work a little bit better, but. Uh, if you're going to pick a good guide dog, usually they're going to stick with the labs. Beautiful. Well, I have a lab. I got Randy. And I like my I like my girls, but I tell you, the boys are a little easier to raise. They are. Well, what's easier then? Uh, guide dogs for the blind or heavy hull? I know you're deep in that space as well. I love the project for you put out there. You put some cabins up on a, on a mountain. You're pulling like big military equipment and all that stuff. What uh, what's good in heavy haul? What makes it different than your typical type of just general over the road freight? Uh, I w- for me, uh, our rates don't fluctuate as much as the general marketplace. I would say. Um, so even though we're seeing you know a depression in freight rates um, for the heavy haul side, there is somewhat. But if you're on a highly specialized side, you're not going to see that that big drop in in pricing that we're seeing for. You know, even, you know, flatbed, regular flatbed and step deck rates. You know, I, I have a series. I write the strap work that I put up all the time on the Internet, and I see your strap work. Mine are usually, like, just awful examples, like who in God's name would put a vehicle on the road that way. But yours are great examples of, of strap work. What kind of safety goes into it? Because, yeah, look at some of the equipment here. You're talking about, I don't know, what is that, a missile? Or you got, like, a Scud missile on there or something and some some big box. Oh, that yeah, that was just picked up. But that was a... Uh... I mean, that's just a gas, that's just a fuel tank for a larger plane. Um, but, uh, you know, the, yeah, the strap work, we definitely take seriously, especially on our big modular stuff coming out of um, Boise. Um, we, we strap them underneath and we bolt them down, but we also, you know, require strapping over the top. So um, some truckers, companies, don't have those higher requirements, but we would definitely recommend they do because even you know, you've seen the videos out there of stuff tipping over and the load coming loose and crushing a car and you know damaging one, you're damaging freight, but you could kill people out there with regular freight, let alone this big freight. So um, I how mean, much I do I am I am contracted with Landstar as an agent. So um Landstar is safety is kind of like their number one um priority um, concern and so they kind of push that pretty heavy and I kind of pass that on to drivers. What kind of prep goes into some of these, these moves? This isn't your, again, this isn't your typical, Hey, I've got, you know, 30,000 of dollars of freight. I got to move from Chattanooga to Austin, Texas. This is like, 
hey, I've got something incredibly heavy that could kill someone on the road. I was even seeing on your page, you commented on, on, on someone who was talking about companies that make digital twin models just to like pre-move some of these goods. It, sound, it sounds like it's starting to get very uh, tech heavy as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the hardest part right now, especially some of the states are changing some of their laws, but it's just, you know, the height issues, planning on height issues um, and running those surveys, uh, the cabin that you were talking about, um, you know, that we speak, you know, heavily to manufacturers about before they start manufacturing. Uh, for instance, that cabin was, um, we asked it to be designed. He said, you know, don't go over, try to stay around 1210. And uh, it came out to 13.2. And that four inches is, you know, is causing havoc, especially in the Northeast, which is bringing on um, rerouting and heavier surveying, which costs a lot of money. And then obviously police escorts. Um, and, you know, especially in the Northeast, we're seeing um, like Connecticut has laid off half their state troopers and they require state troopers for loads like that. And, you know, and then they're not available. So then the, the drivers have a lot of downtime because they'll be waiting for a state trooper just to show up and get them through. And uh, I think that's what's hurting us pretty heavily right now is um, lack of, um, like you're talking about, we're talking about the prep side is how do yeah. we prep for stuff like that? How do we prep for these drivers not being able to move because a troop, state trooper doesn't show up? Yeah. Well, what do you wish shippers knew? Like when they when they reach out, I remember when I was booking loads, there would always be information that they would leave out, and I'd be like, "How we do this every single time?" What do you wish in heavy haul was like was more well known by heavy haul shippers? Uh, securement points, <laughs> like where to put them, right, and that they're uh, heavy enough, you know, because drivers show up and go, "Hey, there's a three thousand pound D ring on this thing, and this thing weighs eighty thousand pounds," um, and um, where they secure because they'll you know put securement points that just are going to just rip right out um you know we'd like to strap over the top but that if you saw like especially that cabin we can't strap over the top of that without destroying the cabin itself so securement on the you know the bottom of the the cabin actually built into the frame is a an important part of their manufacturing part uh, moving that cabin um, interesting and then you know, because it came, you know, where do you secure to something like that? <laughs> uh, so I think that's the biggest thing for me as a heavy haul shippers is they kind of, they misunderstand the issues and the costs involved with shipping tall things, especially, and then um, how to secure them to the truck. We see a lot of bridge collisions on this show. Um, how do you avoid the bridge collisions? You're, just, you're not using Google Maps, right? Um. Well, <laughs> I haven't, um, I haven't luckily hit a bridge. <laughs> we haven't had a driver hit a bridge yet, but obviously the, I mean, as you're well aware is the, the uh, surveys that they're running, you know, sending that pull car out, which is, uh, expensive, but it does keep us from hitting the bridge. Hopefully <laughs> um, sure. as long as everything's set right. But, uh, you know, we have, tall loads going across from uh, California all the way to Georgia that are leaving today. And, you know, they're, they're permitted at 15, seven tall, but, you know, we had to do route surveys all the way through Arizona and New Mexico. Um, and then over into Tennessee, 
I think Mississippi, um, you know, but just running that car is, is $4,500 just to have a, one car run that, um, those routes for us to make sure they were safe. Wow. What is the most interesting thing you, you've had to haul so far since you've been doing this? Got interesting. <laughs> I mean, I really love moving steel, stainless steel tanks. Yeah. I, why. I saw bright, that on your post. Gear. I was going to ask you. I was like, why is that his favorite? I wonder why. I don't know. They say, you know, like they're, uh, they look, I, I talk about, you know, we move mostly, I move modular stuff. Um, and I think the drivers don't think it's sexy. You know, they, and one of the guys I, that drives, he said, yeah, you know, if you drive by a window, you want to be able to look in the, in the, in the windows as you go by and see a really cool looking load. And I think the tanks look cool, <laughs> on the <trip. laughs> you know, especially if they're not all wrapped up, but they're just big, beautiful, bright, shiny objects um, that are just masterfully created. I think that's why they're kind of fun to move. And um, the, <laughs> I think it is, I think maybe it's just an ego thing. <laughs> Is it usually the location that presents a challenge versus the, the freight so much because of just the obstacles on the way getting to wherever this has to go? Right. Yeah. Don't you? I mean, I love like Colorado's nice to us. <laughs> California. I mean, California can be such a pain in so many ways, but California for oversize is, uh, is pretty, pretty easy. Um, and then, you know, New Mexico and Arizona can kind of present a challenge. Right now we have Arizona is going to require us to have, um, we have four tanks that are going to go across Arizona and they want, you know, two, they have front and back escort already. And then they want a front and rear escort of police on each truck. So that's eight, eight police officers going across Arizona. It's like, why can't we convoy these? So, and, you know, save the customers money because all that gets passed on, but it's, you know, why do we need eight police officers running straight down the highway across Arizona? I think, I think that's the frustrating part. Um, and then obviously the, you know, the Northeast. Oh man. In the Northeast, I'm from Massachusetts. And whenever we have construction going on, you've got like three guys digging in like eight stadies, just like watching these people. (laughs) dig. And everything's low. I mean, everything's, everything's just low up there. You know, uh, especially prefabricated buildings are very popular and they're becoming more popular right now. And people want them tall because they want the loft space or they want that height and getting them into the Northeast is, you know, incredibly expensive and it's hindering. It just brings up the, the price of these prefabricated buildings, you know, five, six, seven, sometimes, you know, $10,000 just for the shipping part in addition to the regular shipping costs. Um, so they're becoming a little more cost prohibitive to get them into the Northeast. Interesting. Does this attract a certain type of driver? Like, why would you do heavy haul over just pulling 53s? Well, so, I mean, my biggest issue right now is is, is hiring drivers, finding drivers that will do heavy haul, right? Because you need very good qualified driver. I'd say qualify, right? The qualified part <laughs> is the hard part. Um, you can get drivers that will do it. Um, but you really need a good driver and, you know, the, the modules that we haul out of, out of Boise, they're up to 75 feet long, up to 15 feet wide. Um, they're not that heavy. They're only, you know, 50,000 pounds, but going through the mountains in California to get in there or, or across Colorado, um, especially in the winter, um, you know, it takes a special breed of person to do that. They get paid a lot, <laughs> you know. I think a 50, you know, pulling a 53, 
well, I don't know what those guys are making, maybe 50, you know, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 on a good year, but our heavy haul drivers are making, you know, driving for someone else, they can make about $150,000 a year. Oh, wow. Plus their benefits. Um, so I think that's enticing, um, but it's not easy. You think people would be beating down the door, especially in this market. You think people would be beating down the door to make that kind of money, but they're not. <laughs> I've even um, thought about um, looking at helping sponsoring people on a visa. Um, it's, it's that hard out there to, to come over here. In it's, that, it's hard yeah it's really hard to find you know good heavy haul drivers because they're guys will try it they do stupid stuff like i mean we run into everything right you get guys getting caught at a with a huge load on at a entry point inspected and they got a dui you know it's like oh my you got 75 foot box behind you and you're gonna get a dui at the same time um, it's so reputation it's built in your game too, right? It's so reputation and so safety built and you can get knocked out of it cr- pretty easily with the wrong driver. Oh, they can ruin a whole company. Yeah. Right? Especially, I mean, you're almost glad they got caught, but it, you know, it drives up insurance, you know, destroys insurance for a company. Um, but if that guy got in an accident and killed somebody, you could just, I mean, it's going to destroy that family that was injured and it's going to destroy the company they're hauling for. <laughs> but if they think they're up for it, and they want to make those big bucks, especially in this economy. How do they reach out to you? Where do I send them to? It looks like they even get to walk with this uh, cool. They work with this cool dog over here. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my dogs I raised. Actually, um, he didn't make it. Um, oh. He was really close to passing it was during um, COVID, um, so it was a little bit off. But um, his name is Jambo, <laughs> and I actually got him back and I retrained him as a balanced dog. Um for uh, a woman with multiple sclerosis so he's currently um works in harness um to provide her extra balance when she's out and about um so (laughs) i do bring my dogs to try to bring around it's good exposure for them to come out and be around all that um noise and confusion um because you know to get some used to being um, in the, in the working environments and helping out their, the people they're going to work with. And if people want to reach out to me, I mean, you saw me on LinkedIn, they can, you can email me at chad.crosby at landstarmail.com. You can um, give me a call. Um, you know, I can call my cell phone direct 503-201-1048. And, uh, I'd be happy to get people connected with companies that they don't have to haul. They don't even have to haul heavy haul right away. They could work their way up. Um, He's into it. a little more, you know, 10 foot wide stuff. And then boil the frog turn to, before you turn the heat all the way out, you just, you turn up slowly yeah. at first. No, Hey, work with Chad. He's a great guy. He does a great work with the dogs there. If, uh, if also you need a dog, you maybe reach out to him. Um, if you need a blind dog, he takes a special type of dog. Um, thank you, Chad. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for taking us inside the world of heavy haul out there. Maybe get a new career pulling the heavy stuff. Take right. care, everybody. Thank you. Dinner. Have a great day. Take it easy. All right, let's see. What else is new out here on the world before I send you home? Let's take a look over at Giga Texas. My buddy Molson Hart was out there over the weekend, and he was checking out the rail facility. And he said, this is how Tesla's Giga Texas Austin facility moves its cars all across North America. You can see those are rail cars, and you can see those are dual-level ramps over there. The first one is putting out everything in the lower level. The one right next to it is filling up the upper deck. And uh, 
Eventually, they'll probably swap those after they get these in here. Um, he said the factory is about 20 minutes away from where his office is, and they have tons of Model 3. They going up on this truck, and it's actually, you know, one of the reasons he says that rail terminal right there is why he decided to put brain flakes right there. That area is really picking up. He said uh, there's also Samsung is building a big semiconductor facility, and he said he was walking on the property over there. Security came and they chased him off. Not that I encourage you guys to go trespass or anything like that. That's just uh, what he had to say. By the way, us in Freight, we get to touch some really, really cool stuff. Take a look at what this gentleman, Ron uh, Faraday, he's the president over ARL Transport, found in his warehouse. He said, our warehouse in Vegas has an eclectic range of items being stored and moved in and out of the convention center. And here he is looking like Master Chief on the back of that. What is that thing even? I need to, I should have had a uh, Terry on to tell me I can't even identify this vehicle, but it looks like something from Halo and it's got a massive gun on the back. So it's pretty badass in my book, by the way, Wienermobile Freightwaves class six BJ. She wrote a great article about the Wienermobile about two weeks ago. And unfortunately, maybe it brought too much attention upon this thing. Cause it said Oscar Meyer Wienermobile. This is Fox five. They report that the Oscar Meyer Wienermobile has been repaired after its catalytic converter was stolen in Las Vegas. Can you imagine how bad a hot dog like that would smell without a catalytic converter? Uh, Fox 5 says, um, these things are 27 feet long, by the way. It's a Penske truck. This is Jason Rodriguez. He says, um, what does he say? He said he got to get him a new catalytic converter, I guess. That's what you got to do. I guess you can't get one off the rack. Um, pit stop in Vegas. There's been a lot of logistics people in Vegas, including Ryan Shriver. I wonder, uh, wonder if he had anything to do that with this. Let's take a look at the worst part of trucking. The worst part of trucking. 5 a.m. appointment. It's 7.30. This light just turned red. And who knows how many hours I'm going to sit here waiting for it to turn green again. And there it is. There's a squid game of life called doing a delivery and trucking. Driver just has to sit there. Imagine if we made these things more efficient. Drivers are paid by the hour. Light a candle. Sends urgency under the dog door's ass. Maybe. Speaking of, Augustus Galoop died for this. AP reports the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, that's OSHA for the well-initiated. They've cited Mars and Wrigley in a June incident that happened at an M&M and Mars factory involving this giant chocolate kiln over here. Um, they were saying workers were not authorized to walk, to walk on top of these tanks. However, two workers employed by an outside contracting firm fell into the partially filled chocolate tanks while doing some maintenance work. Emergency responders were able to free the pair by cutting a hole in the bottom of the tank. They just had to drip out to the ground like a chocolate bunny on Easter. Both were taken to the hospital, one by helicopter. So it sounds like th these could have been some awful burns. I mean, we're talking about hot chocolate here. Like it, as delicious as it sounds in your head, it's pretty awful if you actually uh, think about this. A company representative told reporters last week that the safety workers and outside con that safety work for outside contractors is a top priority. Not as top as falling in the vat. And then they said officials said two workers employed by the outside contracting firm fell into the chocolate doing that matron's work. Merger responders were able to free the pair. Gosh, I don't know. Wednesday on the show, we got Freightways Rachel Premack. J.J. Callers, Rick Malchaw, right load to Matthew Kane. He's going to tell us how they wrap a truck and how they wrap vehicles. And we get back the truck of Super Trucker on his own after defeating Rooster. 
want the trivia. Hey, take it easy. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts by looking up What the Truck. Don't be a stranger and take care.